Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour, episode four. Oh my god, that means we've been doing this a month. Nope, two months. We do it every two weeks. That's <laughs> insane in the membrane. Oh my god. Um, so this is the best time I've ever had in my life. Oh, I'm enjoying this too. I immensely. I love it. I fucking love it. Yes. We've had some twists and turns, but it, this is <laughs> the best. <laughs> yeah. We've learned that you can't drink too much while oh my God. recording. Otherwise, you have to re-record. We've learned that you need to plug the microphone in. Every week, we learn a lesson. So I'm really wondering what our lesson is going to be this time. You did set the mic correctly, right? <laughs> I, yes. Okay, I cool. <laughs> so, Mallory, introduce us to the drink of the night. Yeah, so... I actually had this idea. So I said this in the last podcast, but today is Scientology Day. The drink that I found, I couldn't really find anything like super on theme, but I thought of the fact that, and I'll go into this later in my story, but in order to join Scientology, you have to do something called the Purification Rundown, which is like a ridiculous detox program that you have to do. And so I looked up detox drinks and found one that sounded good and we turned it into a cocktail <laughs> and this detox drink is lemon cayenne pepper honey um, ginger ginger yeah i think beyonce used to do this like it was like a detox that all the celebrities did like every yeah. day and it was like a big thing for a while but anyway we ended up adding pineapple juice because it wasn't it Kinda wasn't it was too sour so yeah, yeah it was too sour and we also added tequila because yep and seltzer water to make it feel a little bit more like a drink. Yes, it's pretty good. Yep. Yeah, so that's why we have the drink we have today. So yeah, before we get started... What's new with you, Mallory? What's going on in your world? I'll tell you what's new. I got a booster shot the other day. Yep. Yep. So did you. (laughs) Mallory and I both got booster shots the same day, so we both were on the struggle bus. Yeah. And it was a struggle, I am telling you. I, my symptoms didn't hit until like 24 hours after, which is weird. Well, I didn't think I would have any symptoms because everyone I've known that's had it, they said they didn't have any like yeah reaction to it. And then also to top it off, Mallory and I decided we would do an Orange Theory fitness class <laughs> the yeah. day before our, wait, was it the day before? No, two uh, days before a couple days. Yeah. our shot. So in addition to the body aches we were feeling, we were also feeling like intense so fucking sore. muscle soreness from pushing our bods to the limit. I'm telling you, I've never worked out that hard in my entire life. Like since I was a kid, probably. That's amazing. It was crazy it was it was good i still i want to do another one yeah we'll need to do another one i feel fully recovered now i'm fully recovered i do too and actually up until yesterday yesterday the last symptom i had was that my stupid injection site was like red and swollen oh man hurt still but today i'm fine that's crazy i didn't have that but i had the night i had my shot i had a like a low fever and some muscle aches but obviously probably from working out which I never yeah. do. But. I think that helped with the arm pain because I couldn't really tell yeah. what was sore yeah. from <laughs> that or what. <laughs> anyway, that was a that was something that happened. That's been our week. Um, yeah. Another thing that happened. Sad news. Um, oh, yeah. The day after we recorded recorded the last episode, it was so weird. Mallory actually slept over that night because 
as we mentioned old fashions we got too drunk <laughs> um so the next day my my dog passed away cooper he was only eight years old and it was completely out of nowhere he was completely fine like he's acted completely normal for you know i don't know mallory even saw him yeah. before she left and he was he was totally normal running around with adrian her son like just playing and then i left i don't know what time did i leave do you think um maybe like eight or so yeah but we left to go run an errand and like we were only gone for half an hour and when we came back he was he passed away on the couch like it was the worst so crazy worst thing i've ever i don't know it's just it was terrible but it's been a hard couple weeks dealing with that it's it's super weird i guess anyone that's lost a pet can probably relate anytime people ring the doorbell it's like super weird to not have your dog running and jumping and barking and i know it's still well i guess i've only rang the doorbell twice since he's been gone but it's i'm like i'm expecting cooper to just start barking like crazy and jumping all over me it's it's, oh, so sad. Life isn't the same because he was part of our lives for eight years, over eight years. and mm-hmm. Before you had a kid. He was our first baby, obsessed with that dog. Literally have no idea what happened. My only guess is probably a heart attack. But um, yeah. anyway, just wanted to <sighs> say that. I'm so sorry. It's, I still can't believe it. I know. Honestly. Rest in peace, Koopy. Koopy, we love you. But other than that... I mean, the holidays are coming up. Yeah, I've literally bought no gifts for anyone. What? Oh, no. (laughs) So you're probably really stressed. I'm (laughs) screwed, basically. I'm working on making a couple of things, but I don't even know if I'm going to have that done in time. So, Well, you know, it's about being together. Yes, true. This is the first year that I'm not going to, like, separate parents' houses. Oh, yeah. Um, Because my parents are divorced, so I would typically do, like, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning with a parent, and then go to the next house and do Christmas Day and Christmas night. Mm -hmm. But my husband's dad and sister are coming from Canada, and we are going to have a huge Christmas dinner with over like about 20 people (laughs) so this is my our first year ever hosting and it's going to be 20 people and you're gonna have people staying because they're staying with you too yeah 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 but i'm actually looking forward to it um i've always wanted to host christmas so yeah i mean after these past few years of like being completely isolated and not seeing people i think yeah it's gonna be amazing and i'm boosted so baby i'm good yeah i don't know (laughs) Hopefully others are yeah. at least vaccinated too. Yeah. But, oh my God. Yeah. Christmas is going to be okay this year, I think. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So. So what are we talking about today on well, this Christmas episode? I'd love to tell you. Today is Scientology Day. Up front. I'm doing this up front because Scientology does not play around with people that speak out against them. This is my disclaimer. Okay. All the material that I have today is public knowledge, all pulled from all my sources. Any opinions that are expressed are my own, do not reflect the opinions of anyone else that I'm sure goes the same for you. Yes. Scientology has refuted many of the things that I'm going to talk about today and does not acknowledge them to be true. I just wanted to get that out there because not that we're a huge podcast by any means, but 
they go after people. So, well, we haven't signed any type of contract with them. So no, hell no, <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't exclude you from, but we have free being speech, harassed. right? True. But it still doesn't exclude you from being harassed. Unfortunately, <laughs> that is why people are so reluctant to talk about them. Cause it's, it's intense what yeah. they do. And I also, just because I want to get all this out here in the front, I'm going to go ahead and list my sources. I got stuff from fairgamepodcast.com, which is the website for Leah Remini and Mike Rinder's podcast, Fair Game. MikeRinder'sBlog.org, which is Mike Rinder's blog. <laughs> Mike Rinder was a former, one of the very high executives in Scientology. Yeah. I got information from Leah Remini's show, Scientology in the Aftermath on Netflix, nationalpost.com. I got one single thing from whatiscientology.org, which is a Scientology-run site. It was a graphic that I'm going to use to sort of show Ashley part of it. TonyOrtega.org, which is another blog by somebody that used to be in Scientology. Grunge.com was an article. And Beyond Belief, which is a book by the current leader, David Miscavige's niece, Jenna Miscavige. It's an amazing book. You guys should read it. Oh, man. Yeah. It's so good. And then I got a lot of stuff from Wikipedia as well. There, This was hard to research, by the way, because... Well, really, I started with Wikipedia just to kind of get like... The framework. Yes. And every single fucking detail... Yes, has a link. Has a whole fucking Wikipedia page. I know. You told me like, hey, just look into these things. And like, as I did, there was like a page for that, a page for that, a page for that. And so I had like all my tabs were opened and I was just like, (laughs) my mind is breaking. Tab hell. Oh my God. So I'm going to start from the very beginning. I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about the founder as much as what is like going on today, but I think it's really important because he was crazy. Yeah. L. Ron Hubbard. He is the founder of Scientology. He's also a, or was also a science fiction and fantasy author. He authored the book Dianetics, which was like like if you have the Bible for Christianity, Dianetics is similar to that in Scientology. He was born Lafayette Ronald Hubbard in Tilden, Nebraska, March 13, 1911, and he grew up in Helena, Montana. He went to Helena High School, contributed to the school paper, but eventually he actually ended up being dropped from enrollment due to failing grades. And that's kind of a theme in his life. He kept failing out of school <laughs> constantly. His father was in the Navy, and they were posted in Guam and Asia and South Pacific. Later, L. Ron Hubbard actually took the Naval Academy entrance exam and failed that. And in September 1929, he was enrolled in a preparatory school in Virginia to help him prepare for a second attempt at the examination. This is kind of weird on like the dates, but during his enrollment at that preparatory school he complained of eye strain and they diagnosed him with myopia which is nearsightedness Mm -hmm. he used that somehow to get out of the naval academy later okay and later on as an adult he i guess in like a diary or something he wrote to himself your eyes are getting progressively better they became bad when you used them as an excuse to escape the naval academy which I included that because one of the core principles of Scientology is that your behaviors determine outcomes in your life. 
So he's already thinking, well, my eyes became bad because I was using that as an excuse to get out of the Naval Academy. I did something bad, so therefore I had a consequence. Okay. So he continued to do bad in school. He failed many courses in college, including atomic physics, though later in life he would claim to have been a nuclear physicist. In September 1931, he was placed on probation due to poor grades. And in April 1932, he got a warning for his lack of academic achievement. But in the 1930s, he actually became a well-known and prolific writer for Pulp Fiction magazines. And he ended up dropping out of college in 1932. So, and then he became well known for fantasy and science fiction novels after that, which I think a lot of people still know him as a science fiction author. He Mm -hmm. did like, because of the movie Battlefield Earth, he wrote that book. Oh, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh my God. Yep. He also wrote in a wide variety of genres, but he's most well known for being a science fiction writer. Can I ask a quick question? Yes, ma'am. So she has a picture of him, and he looks like a huge douche. Like a, he does. Like a Hugh Hefner-type douche. Yeah. Um, but he kind of reminds me of Philip Seymour Hoffman in oh, The Master. I didn't see that, but I, I can totally see that resemblance. And I was wondering if The Master is based off Scientology. Because I, I remember... The movie, he plays like the founder of some kind of like religion or something. So I'm wondering if it's based off Scientology. That would be interesting to find out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But he looks just like the character. So the plot is he like... Yeah, let's look at it. It's an American psychological drama film, blah, blah, blah. Tells the story of Freddie Quell, a World War II Navy veteran struggling to adjust to a post-war society who meets Lancaster Dodd a leader of a religious movement known as the Cause. Dodd sees something in Quell and accepts him into the movement. Freddie takes a liking to the Cause and begins traveling with Dodd's family to spread his teachings. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's vaguely similar anyway. Let me just show you a picture of Philip Seymour Hoffman, the master. I remember our friend Isaiah literally mailed me a disc of this. I remember that. Oh my God. I remember seeing the DVD. (laughs) My God, they look so similar, actually. Yeah. Well, this is obviously a professional photo, so I don't know. I don't think he... A lot of the photos he has are, like, in Navy wear, Mm -hmm. like, naval gear. But I think that's... He did end up being in the Navy, but he structures the Sea Org of the Scientology, like, kind of like the Navy. Anyway. So, in 1933, he got into a relationship with a fellow glider pilot. So, he also flew gliders. You know, those... They're not planes, but they yeah. you can just, like, fucking glide through the air. Like hang, hang, hang gliding? like Not, like, <laughs> hanging. They actually look like planes. Like, you sit in them, and they have, like, plane wings and stuff, but they, they don't have a motor. Oh, that sounds horrifying. Yeah, it does. But he was, like, in a glider club or something in college, so he, I think he met her there. Um, her name was Margaret, nicknamed Polly Grubb. They married on April 13th, 1933. They had two kids, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard Jr., whose nickname was Nibs. Mm. <laughs> Nibs. And Catherine May. And then I, I'm i not even going to go into the rest of his marriages because he had three wives and seven kids total. There's so much stuff that I want to talk about anyway that there's just no time. <laughs> so he ended up having three wives. 
So they did live... he stay married to one of the wives in the end? I don't feel like he did. Did he? Yes. It appears that he did. There's no end date on the Wikipedia page for their marriage, which would lead me to believe that they were married until he died. I don't know, though, for sure. Okay. They lived for a while in Laytonsville, Maryland, but they were chronically short of money. In April 1938, he had an adverse reaction to a drug that was used during a dental procedure, and it triggered a near-death experience for him. Ooh. Inspired by the near-death experience, he wrote a manuscript called Excalibur, which actually would form the basis for some of his later publications. For instance, it discussed the, quote, one command, which was to survive, which I guess if you have a near-death experience, it's what you would take out of that. Yeah. <laughs> that was revisited in the, his later work, Dianetics, which laid out the set of ideas and practices regarding the metaphysical relationship between the mind and the body. So he ended up going into the Navy finally. I don't even know the details. I know he failed the exam once. Apparently he got in, whatever. Or maybe he just didn't go to the Naval Academy. Maybe he just enlisted. I don't know. I don't know how the Navy works, okay? <laughs> I'm not a military person. How does the Navy work? I don't know. <laughs> I don't fucking know. So this was during World War II. He was commissioned as a lieutenant in the U.S. Naval Reserve. And that's probably something entirely different. I don't know. I don't know, okay? Don't come at me. I have no clue. <laughs> he screwed up several times, though. One instance was ordering to fire on a submarine. Oh, I read about this. That was never confirmed to exist. Right. He later claims that he sunk a Japanese submarine, but they actually ended up determining that it, the submarine did not exist at all. Yes. So he, I think, was removed. Well, I don't know if he was removed from command then, but he also ordered a crew to fire on the Coronado Islands, which are a group of islands right off of Baja, California, which is Mexico. At the time, the U.S. was allied with Mexico. Yeah. And he ordered them to fire upon <laughs> a U.S. allied land, and then they removed him from command. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, finally. Like, good. That's insane that someone could just make those kind of... I know, right? <laughs> just You wasted a whole bunch of like expensive ammo the first time try firing at nothing. Literally the ocean floor. Yeah, I remember I was reading about this and I actually copy and paste that into my Oh, oh you have stuff notes because, yeah. too? Oh my god. Well, because I was trying to like be more familiar with it. Yeah. And that so definitely stuck out to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. So he was reassigned and became depressed. He's every time he complains of something, it's like it seems like minor shit. I think he's like a huge baby. <laughs> so he reported stomach pains in April 1945 and spent the remainder of the year as a patient in a naval hospital in California. I actually got conflicting dates on that because I wanted to mention this little piece of fun knowledge. This says in August 1945, so obviously that was not the remainder of the year in the hospital. He moved to a mansion owned by a rocket propulsion researcher at the California Institute of Technology, who was also a founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is NASA. And that's where they do like all their rocket <laughs> testing, basically. Uh, well, one place, I'm sure. So he moved into their his mansion. So this guy, his name is Jack Parsons. 
He led a double life as an avid occultist and Thelemite. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't even know what it is. But he was a follower of the English ceremonial magician Alistair Crowley. Crowley. I don't know. And he was a leader of a lodge of Crowley's magical order, which was called Ordo Templi Orientis. That sounds like a whole bunch of bullshit. It is. Um, (laughs) It is. Jack Parsons only let rooms in the house to tenants who, well, he wanted them to be atheists and those of a bohemian disposition. So Parsons had a 21-year-old girlfriend named Betty. Hubbard befriended her, and then they became sexually involved <laughs> while, they, while they were still together. Parsons and her. It says, despite this, Parsons was very impressed with Hubbard. <laughs> so I guess it didn't matter. <laughs> In fact, the two men collaborated on a sex ritual. I heard about this. What is this? Do you know more about this sex ritual? Because well, just the basics. So <laughs> it was called it was called Babylon working, and it was intended to summon an incarnation of Babylon, who was the supreme Thelemite goddess. I should have looked up what Thelemite is. I don't know what that is. It was undertaken under several nights in February and March in 1946 in order to summon an elemental who would participate in further sex magic. Parsons had a magical wand, and he used it, a quote-unquote magical wand, used it to whip up a vortex of energy (laughs) so the elemental would be summoned. Translated into plain English, his wee-wee, Parsons jerked off. In the name of spiritual advancement, while Hubbard scanned the astral plane for signs and visions. Isn't that crazy? That, like, oh my god, the window just scared me because I thought there was somebody there. (laughs) I mean, what the hell? Scanned the astral planes. Yeah, while this guy's just... What does scanning the astral planes even mean? I don't know. I have no clue. It's so weird because all of these, there's so many like topics that are coming up that I was actually researching for another <gasps> thing, like near-death experiences, astral projection, oh. reincarnation. It's all tied into Scientology, yes, which is so is. weird. Reincarnation too. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to include that because it was so bizarre. That is super weird. <laughs> I, don't, I just want to like know what that looks like, scanning the astral plane. Who even knows? It, he's probably just sitting there in some, like... He's probably taking DMT and just been like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Being really disgusting probably. and perverted. I know, because the other guy in the room is wanking his ding-ding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, in October 1947, he wrote a letter to the VA requesting psychiatric treatment because he was unable to pay for it himself, which is really ironic because within a few years, he would condemn psychiatry as evil. And that would become a major theme in Scientology. So Dianetics, he published it May 9th, 1950. By August of 1950, it had sold 55,000 copies and was selling at the rate of 4,000 a week. And it was being translated into French, German, and Japanese. 500 Dianetic auditing groups have been set up across the United States. And I will explain auditing in a minute. Supporters, though, then started having doubts about the book because he 
did a presentation in front of 6,000 people and introduced somebody that, and I'll explain this to I, I know it's kind of sounds like I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you know any basics about Scientology, the goal is to go, quote, clear. Yeah. So he introduced somebody that had reached that state named Sonia Bianca and told the audience that as a result of undergoing Dianetic therapy, she now possessed perfect recall. She could remember anything ever, I guess. Hmm. So in the demonstration that followed, she failed to remember a single formula in physics, which was a subject which she was majoring, (laughs) or even the color of Hubbard's tie when his back was turned. At this point, a large part of the audience got up and left. (laughs) (laughs) Go home, loser. Boom. Boom. (laughs) Boom. So another science fiction author actually ended up telling Hubbard that what he really needed to do was, in order to get rich, was to start a religion. Yeah. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds familiar. (laughs) So he expanded upon the basics of Dianetics to construct a spiritually oriented, though at this stage it was still not religious-religious doctrine, based on the concept that the true self of a person was a Thetan, which is an immortal, omniscient, and potentially omnipotent entity. Whenever I think of Thetan, I think of just like a miniature alien. I do too. Really? I just think of like <laughs> tiny baby beings that are like Like a little tiny baby alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hubbard taught that Thetans, having created the material universe, had forgotten their godlike powers and became trapped in physical bodies. Scientology aimed to rehabilitate... Well, this says Scientology here. It hasn't quite become Scientology yet, but... Scientology aimed to rehabilitate each person's self, which is the Thetan, to restore its original capacities and become once again an operating Thetan, which is a spiritual state above clear. Mm. So I'll explain this too, but you reach clear and then there's operating Thetan levels above that that are higher than clear. Cha-ching! Exactly. (laughs) It's defined as knowing and willing cause over life, thought, matter, energy, space, and time. Hubbard insisted humanity was imperiled by the forces of aberration, which were the result of Ingrams. And Ingram is... I don't even know I'm saying that right. Ingram? Ingram? Do you know E-N-G-R-A-M? Ingram? Is it Ingram? I don't know. And Ingram is a unit of bear with me this is going to get kind of like detailed here a unit of cognitive information imprinted in a physical substance theorized to be the means by which memories are stored as biophysical or biochemical changes in the brain or other biological tissue in response to external stimuli so basically it's memories that are imprinted in a physical substance Sounds detailed enough that I'm just going to buy it. (laughs) Well, don't buy it because you'll go to hell. (laughs) So these engrams are carried by immortal thetans for billions of years. So, okay, so he became the leader of a growing Dianetics movement. I guess at some point after his, like, failure of a presentation, he gained more followers He became a popular lecturer and established the Hubbard Dianetic Research Foundation in New Jersey, 
where he trained his first Dianetics counselors or auditors. He introduced a device called an e-meter that he presented as having an almost mystical power to reveal an individual's innermost thoughts. It's not so mystical as that. I can't believe people bought into this because they this still is do literally just like what they still do so this is oh my god this reminds me of those aura photographs where you oh, like oh yes put, i like actually took one and it's just like kind of fun to be like oh it's my aura like but mm-hmm. i'm not gonna like follow a religion based on it no you know oh my god but no well this thing is used so heavily in Scientology, like so heavily so the e-meter originally named the electropsychometer I'm so sorry, is an electronic device for displaying the electrodermal activity of a human being. So it's actually similar to a lie detector where it basically observes the changing of electrical charges on the surface of the skin. Mm. In December 1953, Hubbard incorporated three Church of Scientology organizations. The first one, a Church of American Science a Church of Scientology, and a Church of Spiritual Engineering. On February 18th, 1954, with Hubbard's blessing, some of his followers set up the first local Church of Scientology, the Church of Scientology of California, adopting the aims, purposes, principles, and creed of the Church of American Science as founded by L. Ron Hubbard. So basically they're just creating a new branch in California. The movement actually spread quickly through the United States and to other English-speaking countries such as Britain, Ireland, South Africa, and Australia. And I will say this in the beginning, I think they had a whole lot more people than they do now because of the invention of the internet. Uh Uh-huh. So people are just like, (laughs) fuck Scientology. Yeah, because everything's being exposed now. Yeah. So the second local church of Scientology to be set up after the one in California was in Auckland, New Zealand. So they actually had like, I mean, hands all over the world at that point. In 1955, Hubbard established the founding Church of Scientology in Washington, DC. So we've got a few churches. I'm not going to go through the rest of the church's building history. So at this point, I'm just gonna jump to the core beliefs of Scientology, since now we've established that it's a church. Yeah, well. They say it's a church and it has IRS tax exempt status because they've got millions and millions of dollars. Well, billions. didn't didn't they like kind of blackmail the government into getting them that church exempt status? I believe they did. Yes, I should have put more details about that because I didn't actually. Well, they were convicted of fraud several times. Well, how? Oh my god! It has a whole Wikipedia article. Yeah, I'm just surprise. But I thought they like blackmailed them by coming at the government several times and like so it looks like yes so it looks like they got tax exempt status and then it was revoked they tried to obstruct the IRS and when it lost its tax exemption it reverted to the status of a regular taxpayer but they did not want to accept that status so despite being told it now needed to file income tax return forms, it continued to file the less informative annual information returns as if it was a tax-exempt organization. And then there's a whole section called espionage. They had several operations. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was reading into that. They, like, basically 
I don't know if it was like blackmailing the government and like they were spying on them and like they basically just like made them give them yeah the status this is what they do to even normal people. i know see like the fact that they still have it to me is just like insane they have everybody under wrapped around their finger because the force <laughs> yeah it says that they targeted organizations and individuals providing information to the irs and they would use overt or covert means to obtain information that could be used to discredit them while avoiding any disclosure of Scientology's involvement. They intentionally document or sought to document criminal activity on the part of the IRS. Yep. Aimed to identify individual IRS officials working on Scientology tax matters and investigate their background and activities. Yep. A plant would be recruited to develop social and political contacts with IRS personnel. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I read and I was like, oh my God. So like they did this like espionage movement mm-hmm. to get this tax exempt status by like blackmailing people. God, unbelievable. So they have legal recognition in Australia, Italy, and the US. And Germany classifies Scientology groups as anti constitutional. And France classifies them as a dangerous cult. So mm. there's like several countries that are like absolutely fucking not. I knew about Germany, I didn't know about France. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, two out of how many, but still. So, all right, core beliefs of Scientology. (laughs) Among the basic tenets of Scientology are the beliefs that human beings are immortal, that a person's life experience transcends a single lifetime, and that human beings possess infinite capabilities. They present two major divisions of the mind. So there's the reactive mind and the analytical mind. The reactive mind is thought to record all pain and emotional trauma. The analytical mind is a rational mechanism that serves consciousness. The goal in Scientology is to get rid of your reactive mind and only be in your analytical mind. The reactive mind stores mental images which are not readily available to the analytical mind. And those are what are referred to as engrams. So according to Scientology, the engrams are painful and debilitating. As they accumulate, people move further away from their true identity. Some engrams are taught by Hubbard to happen by accident, while others are inflicted by thetans who have gone bad and want power. These engrams are named implants in the doctrine of Scientology. Hubbard said implants result in all varieties of illness, apathy, degradation, neurosis, and insanity, and are the principal cause of these in man. So auditing. Dianetic auditing is one way which the Scientologist may progress toward the clear state, winning gradual freedom from the reactive mind's engrams and acquiring certainty of his or her reality as a thetan. One thing I think is interesting is that they're saying that there's the reactive mind and then the analytical mind, but you want to get away from all this trauma and just like be more clear or mm-hmm. whatever. But that would be like counseling or psychology, like working through this all is, these problems. Like that's exactly yeah. what they're against. This is his alternative to psychiatry. And I'm, I'm wondering if there was like an event or something in his life, which he was totally turned off to psychiatry. And I was a... thinking as you were telling me about that, like, I wonder if he maybe, I don't know if he took medication or something and maybe he mm-hmm. wasn't as like 
off the wall in writing like crazy science oh, fiction that maybe he was stunted his creativity yeah. yeah yeah that's a good thought actually because he did seek yeah. psychiatric help at some point but then ended up denouncing it so right so clearing is described to represent the attainment of man's dreams through the ages of attaining a new and higher state of existence and freedom from the endless cycle of birth death birth Clear is the total erasure of the reactive mind from which stems all the anxieties and problems the individual has. And I think at this point, too, he is, like, letting his science fiction author self go. I think he's, like, a total narcissist. Oh, yeah. And he's got followers and he's, you know, written all this stuff that people are into. And now it's like, oh. I mean, I don't know at one point at what point he established clear but it it just seems like now he's just taken the taken it and run with it yeah (laughs) so scientology asserts that people have hidden abilities which have not yet been fully realized it teaches that increased spiritual awareness and physical benefits are accomplished through counseling sessions referred to as auditing so i'm gonna explain that a little bit auditing is a one-on-one session with a scientology counselor or auditor The auditor's task is to help a person discover and understand the universal principles of affinity, reality, and communication. Really, what they're doing is trying to figure out if you're lying about something. Mm. And they also kind of explain it like, I can't remember the terms that they use. All the terms in Scientology they have make everything so confusing because they have a fucking word about, like, for everything. That's how they, like, it's like a loop. Like, Mm -hmm. you just... You can't get out of it because you don't understand and you're just like going with it, right? Yeah. In the auditing session, they use the e-meter. The person that is being audited holds two metal cylinders, Mm -hmm. which they call the cans. And the auditor is on the other side looking at the e-meter and there's a needle. Repeatedly, I've heard people say that the goal of the auditing sessions is to get the needle to float, whatever that means. So I guess when the needle is floating, you are free of your, what's the word I'm looking for? You're free of any like deception. Deception or something that's bothering you or, you know, whatever. But I think the ulterior motive is to gain intel on your life. Exactly. To hold you captive, right? Well, that's one purpose. Yeah. So Scientology teaches that the e-meter helps to locate spiritual difficulties. Once an area of concern has been identified, the auditor (laughs) asks the individual specific questions about it to help him or her eliminate the difficulty. And then they use the e-meter to confirm that the charge has been dissipated, whatever that means. So as the individual progresses up what is called the bridge to total freedom, which is the program that you go through your pre-clear levels, then your clear level, it's all auditing sessions mm-hmm. yep. the whole way up. And you have to pay for them, right? You have to pay for everything. Yeah, like every $50 single thing. And like a reading or something? Um, no, it's like $800 an hour. Holy shit. Does insurance cover it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Nope. So as they progress up the program, the bridge to total freedom, the focus of the auditing moves from simple engrams to engrams of increasing complexity and other difficulties. 
at the more advanced OT levels, Scientologists actually act as their own auditors or solo auditors, which interesting. Hmm. Before I move on from this and L. Ron Hubbard's life and everything, I just wanted to bless you with a few lies he told about himself in his life that are really funny. <laughs> um, I told you about the nuclear physicist one. He claims that he was a pioneer at the dawn of aviation in America, which, as you'll recall, the only aviation he ever did was riding in a glider. (laughs) (laughs) He claimed that he created the U.S. Air Force. Okay. He claimed that he was wounded in combat and was awarded two Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star. By the way, none of this happened. He claimed he fought German U-boats in the North Atlantic, and he claimed that he was machine-gunned in the back by Japanese soldiers on the Indonesian island of Java. Pretty sure you wouldn't be alive, baby. Oh my god. So, the bridge to total freedom. This is, like, really hard to see, but I've got a slide up of the whole chart. It's crazy how much stuff is on here. This is basically a pricing sheet. Yeah, without the prices listed, yes. (laughs) Just as an idea, the materials and courses take about a total of $380,000 to complete. That is without repeating anything, because you will have to repeat stuff no matter what. I was actually listening to Leah Remini's podcast on the way over here, and they were talking about how, like, even in this initial thing, so you start with the purification rundown, which is our drink for the night which is a detox. It usually takes several weeks. You spend a ton of time in saunas. You got to do exercise and everything, but it also, they make you take a ton of vitamins, niacin in particular, which they make you take initial doses of 100 milligrams, increasing to 5,000 milligrams over the course of the program, which contrasts with the medically recommended level of about 15 milligrams. Oh my God. That can cause liver failure and death. Well, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So they do this whole thing. But anyway, when I was listening to the podcast, they were talking about the bridge and how it's mandatory to do the purification rundown. And you will not do it only once. You likely will have to do it multiple times and you'll have to pay for it every time. Every time you have to redo something, you got to pay for it again. They want you to retake it so they can get more money. <laughs> I uh, I was watching Leah Remini's Netflix series where yeah. she interviews a lot of people that were duped by Scientology, and there was a couple mm-hmm. that wanted to start doing it, and they like they started, but they just could not afford it. They were like going bankrupt and stuff, yeah. and they like had to keep doing. They kept telling them this is all you'll have to pay, but then there was more and more, and they were like taking loans out. To pay. Yeah, well, they will call. They will call in your credit card yeah, company and get you a loan. Like they'll get they'll your credit pay you card. Loans, they'll they'll up your credit limit. They will impersonate you. Yeah. To get more money out of you. It's insane, yes. man. It's crazy. They separated the couple, and the wife wasn't like for it because she was like, oh, more reasonable and like knew they didn't have the money. And then the husband was more like, I really want to do this, so they like separated them. Yeah. And called their credit card company, got them a credit card, because, yeah, it was so messed up. It's messed up. I can't even believe that couple is still together. Like That's crazy, to be honest. But maybe that actually brought them together more because they had a shared experience. Yeah. (laughs) Like that. Insane. It's crazy. 
So, yeah, they give them insane amounts of niacin as well as like a bunch of vitamins and crap, but they're told to expect toxic symptoms due to the release of poisons or radiation from their body fat, but it's actually the symptoms of a niacin overdose. Oh my god. So, like skin irritation, flushing, dizziness, headache, that's interpreted as a positive effect of the rundown. Do they have a medical expert on board? Hell no, because they don't have medical experts. In only chiropractors. <laughs> yep, only chiropractors. Which... So yeah, in addition to that, they drink something which they call CalMag, which I've heard other people say that they were made to drink it for other reasons too. But it's a solution of calcium gluconate and magnesium carbonate and vinegar and water. Ugh. Ew. And it's taken up to three times per day. And then, of course, they give them enough liquids to replace the fluids lost in the sauna. So don't worry about that. Okay. The cost of this program in particular in 1990 was $2,000. In 1998, it actually, for some reason, dropped to 1200 2009 was $5,200. So now who even fucking knows how much it is? Oh, my God. After that, they can begin up the bridge to clear... Paying thousands each level and doing many, many hours of auditing. Each level has an ability that is listed that will be gained. Like a Pokemon card. Yeah, you you have something you'll get. So pre-clear, some of the abilities that you'll gain are the ability to communicate freely with anyone on any subject. (laughs) Okay. Ability to recognize the source of problems and make them vanish. Would love to be able to do that. Oh my god. Freedom of the upsets of the past and the ability to face the future. You know, this all sounds really nice. This is how they get some people. Honestly, and that's how a lot of cults get you is because of the promises they make. Self help. Yep. Mixed in with kind of new age. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can totally see that. But with the money tacked on, I'd be like, mm. That's what I don't understand is how in the world, once you realize you're going to have to be paying thousands upon thousands immediately. Yeah. I get that celebrity, like the celebrities don't even have, I mean, they still have to do all the auditing stuff and all that, but they mm-hmm. don't have the same experience as those in like the... Sea Org, which I'll talk about too, but they obviously can just pay whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but the people that it literally ruins them financially. Right. And if should they ever decide they want to leave or decide that they are going to try to leave, they have nothing. Well, and even just going up these levels, that's not all you have to pay. They always are asking right. for donations to build yes. all their other churches that yeah. they don't even have anyone in. So 380000 is a minimum, yeah. basically, if you yeah. go through the whole thing. A very, very minimum, I'm sure. I'm sure that people have given millions and millions. It's like the pyramid scheme of religion. Yeah, it is. It's all recruitment, too. Yeah. After pre-clear, you have the clear and OT levels, the operating Thetan levels. You get to be a being who no longer has his own reactive mind, which is one of the goals. Return of self-determinism and freedom from overwhelm. Now, I will say OT 8 through 15 technically are all confidential until you reach them. But we know now (laughs) what is contained in those levels. So... I'm sure you've heard of Xenu. Yep. This is the only picture I could find. I guess BBC did like a, a story on it and they had an animator 
draws Zenu and he looks really weird. He actually looks like the dude in the Church of Satan. <laughs> it looks like a god, like an eighties yeah, cartoon. I think like, it was done back then, so that would make sense. Total like Thor vibes or something. Yeah. He looks super cool. So you actually learn about Xenu in OT3. Xenu was the ruler of a galactic confederacy 75 million years ago, which consisted of 26 stars and 76 planets, including Earth, which was then known as Tegeak, spelled (laughs) T-E-E-G-E-E-A-C-K. Tegeak. The planets were overpopulated, containing an average population of 178 billion. The Galactic Confederacy's civilization was comparable to our own, with aliens walking around in clothes which looked very remarkably like the clothes that they wear this very minute, and using cars, trains, and boats looking exactly the same as those circa 1950 and 1960 on Earth. So Xenu was about to be deposed from power, so he devised a plot to eliminate the excess population from his dominions. With the assistance of psychiatrists, why? I don't know. I mean, I can tell you why. It's because L. Ron Hubbard was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. <laughs> and Was he actually? Yeah, yeah. How come I missed that? How the hell? Well... I have a note here that his wife, Sarah, consulted doctors who recommended he be committed to a private sanatorium for psychiatric observation and treatment of a mental ailment known as paranoid schizophrenia. Therefore, Hubbard criticized psychiatry as a barbaric and corrupt profession. Well, there it is. There (laughs) it is. That is what it is. This Xenu sounds just like the fever dream of a paranoid schizophrenic. No offense. It does, but... My thought the whole time was just, he's a science fiction writer, and this is his greatest work, you know? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And he's actually getting people to believe it, miraculously. Maybe he believes it, too. Who knows? Well, that's true. That's an added layer to it. That could be. He's just Maybe, like, let's well, he probably did this. convince himself after a while. I mean, geez. So, Xenu gathered billions of his citizens under the pretense of income tax inspections. This is just insane. Then paralyzed them and froze them in a mixture of alcohol and glycol to capture their souls. The details are just so bizarre on this. The kidnapped populace was loaded into spacecraft for transport to the site of extermination, which was the planet of Tegiak, which is Earth. When they had reached Tegiak, the paralyzed citizens were offloaded and then placed around the bases of volcanoes across the planet. Hydrogen bombs were then lowered into the volcanoes and detonated simultaneously, killing all but a few aliens. The fact that people reached this level and they're like, all right, let's go on to the next level. Like, <laughs> this sounds legit. Cool. That's- like. I mean... And they're paying for it, too. They're, they're not just like, I'm interested, tell me more. They're like writing out a check. Yes. And going to write out more checks. I know a lot of people get to the point where you learn about Xenu, but I wonder how many people get to the point. I don't know. That's well, enough for me, man. When you get to the Xenu story, I'm like, I'm sorry. Remember my story of Johnny Lewis? That their whole family yeah. reached past eight. Yes. Well, and I think Leah Remini's did, too, because her, her mom was in it, too. Yeah. I mean, all the executives and stuff. 
Well, I mean, I can believe Tom Cruise because he's just yes on a different level. Oh my God. Did you know that they hired all Scientology staff for him so that he is surrounded 100% by Scientology oh my God. all the time? No, I didn't. Isn't that crazy? Oh God, he makes me want to throw up, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the hydrogen bomb was detonated and they all were killed, but now they're disembodied souls. So these disembodied souls are the Thetans. Mm-hmm. Why does L. Ron Hubbard even know this? Theoretically, yeah. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I didn't, I didn't ever see anything that said that like he had a like a psychic or like a god a or... divine revelation or anything like that. So weird. I uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It gets weirder too. If you know, audience, let us know why yes. L. Ron Hubbard would know such details of the universe. <laughs> well the real reason is Mental illness, not taking your meds. <laughs> the now disembodied souls, called Thetans, were blown into the air by the blast. <laughs> then they were captured by Xenu's forces using an, quote, electronic ribbon. <laughs> sucked into, quote, vacuum zones around the world. Wow, vacuum zones. Yeah. The hundreds of billions of captured Thetans were taken into a type of cinema where they were forced... This is just so bizarre. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the weirdest shit. They were taken into a cinema. These are souls that were captured, taken into a cinema. How the fuck does that work, first of all? Where they were forced to watch a 3D super colossal motion picture, whatever that means, that was in quotes, for 36 days. <laughs> This implanted what Hubbard termed various misleading data into the memories of the hapless Thetans, which has to do with God, the devil, space opera, which is a type of science fiction writing. It's just a genre, etc. Space opera. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, the hell? This included all world religions. Hubbard specifically attributed Roman Catholicism and the image of the crucifixion to the influence of Zeno. So in addition to implanting new beliefs in the Thetans, the images deprived them of their sense of personal identity. When the Thetans left the projection areas, they started to cluster together in groups of a few thousand, having lost the ability to differentiate between each other. Each cluster of the Thetans gathered into one of the few remaining bodies that survived the explosion. These became what are known as body thetans, which are said to still be clinging to and adversely affecting everyone except Scientologists who have performed the necessary steps to remove them. So you have body thetans on you right now. I love it. I wish I could see them. (laughs) Cute little aliens. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) So Xenu eventually was overthrown. He was locked away in an electronic mountain trap from which he has not escaped. So I guess he's still there. Does it make you feel good about yourself that you're like so much smarter than all these celebrities that pay for Scientology? Like, it's just like, wow. Yes, but at the same time, I feel horrible because there's people that are literally brainwashed, you know? Like, well, I feel bad for the people that are born into it. Yes. That are like enslaved. Right. There's a huge difference. But I don't know. But yeah, what? I don't, I don't get it. I don't get the people that know all of the negative stuff the stuff that's come out about Scientology that is so horrifying and they are still in it 
at the same time, people feel like they can't leave. But don't they also like prohibit your use of the internet? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You can get in big trouble for looking at things or even questioning. You can get like they can threaten Mm -hmm. you, so you don't even bother to think or question because so you're just like you're stuck. You're that's how they have complete control over you. Yeah, so 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 it's horrible. So yeah, I mean that's the story of Zenu. At OT8, you learn that OT8 is like the highest. Actually, OT15 is the highest. But yeah, now. but it but was they, the highest. It but was then the highest. They're like, guess what? We need more money. Yep, exactly. Let's That's exactly do what it. Was. it. Yep, let's add more. Because we've got too many people that have gone to the top and now we can't get as much money out of them. Yeah. So, OT8, you learn 80 million years ago, a group of aliens that exist out of space time have planned to take over the universe. By And this is separate from what I just told you. By activating an inserted genetic implant that will allow for enslavement of the entire universe via telepathic mind control. So now there's a threat that you learn about. These, well, actually, no, I'm sorry. This was 80 million years ago. I don't know. Because it says it exists outside of space time. So I'm not really sure if this is a current <laughs> threat or what. Anyway. You gotta pay for it to know it. <laughs> I guess I'll have to do the whole thing. Yep. Report back after you're done. Well, if they can get me some more money on my credit cards. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. The implant will be activated during the return of the Galactic Confederacy, which is what Xenu was over. And that time is rapidly approaching. All world religions, except for original Buddhism, are participating in a conspiracy with the aliens to telepathically enslave the universe. All religions, except for Buddha, original Buddhism. I mean, I don't doubt that. Hubbard claims... <laughs> register what you just said. <laughs> Hubbard claims that the second coming in the book of Revelation in the Bible is referring to this event and identifies himself with the Antichrist. He also wrote that the Antichrist represents the forces of Lucifer, which are the forces of enlightenment. So, sorry, Christians. So they're saying Lucifer is enlightenment? Yep. (laughs) Hubbard then described the historical Jesus as being a homosexual and a pedophile. Wow. And wrote that he was a lover of young boys and men. And claims that the saintly figure portrayed in the Gospels are due to the implant that I just mentioned a second ago. Hubbard writes that he himself, not Jesus, will return not as a religious leader, but a political one with another identity and a body free of religious mania. This is the Antichrist is kind of described as in Revelation. It's the same fucking thing. (sighs) Yeah. Anyway... (laughs) So he warns that anybody who tries to complete this auditing level without being prepared may spontaneously combust. So don't fucking do it. Just don't do it. WikiLeaks in March 2008 obtained and placed the complete set of operating Thetan levels on their site. (laughs) (laughs) So that's part of the reason we know. I just saved myself $60,000. Yeah, or more. So all of that sounds like science science fiction, right? Or psychosis. The, <laughs> the Church of Scientology has denied claims that the religion is based on science fiction. However, with the release of OT8, 
all three cardinal incidents of the church's esoteric scripture have elements found in science fiction literature, which L. Ron Hubbard was familiar with as a science fiction writer. So basically he could have taken like all of that stuff from stuff he's already read. Mm-hmm. So L. Ron, poor L. Ron, <laughs> suffered further ill health, including chronic pancreatitis, and he had a stroke on January 17th, 1986. He died a week later. His body was cremated and the ashes were scattered at sea. Scientology, however, announced that his body had become an impediment to his work and that he was actually in perfect health the day of his death. And instead, he decided to, quote, drop his body to continue his research on another planet, having learned how to do it without a body. Okay. I don't know how they thought anybody was going to believe that. So the Sea Org, I've mentioned it a couple of times. The Church of Scientology describes it as a fraternal religious order comprising the church's most dedicated members. Basically, they are the employees of Scientology. Mm -hmm. All Scientology management organizations are controlled exclusively by members of the Sea Org. David Miscavige, who is the current leader of Scientology, is actually the highest ranking Sea Org officer who holds the rank of captain. The Sea Org has been described as a paramilitary organization and as a private naval force, having operated several vessels in its past and displaying a maritime tradition. There are some ex-members, though, that have described the Sea Org as a totalitarian organization marked by intensive surveillance and lack of freedom. It was established August 12, 1967 by L. Ron Hubbard, initially on board three ships called the Diana, the Athena, and the Apollo, and the Apollo was the flagship. In 1971, the Sea Org assumed responsibility for the church's religious development, and in particular, the delivery of upper levels of its auditing and training, known as the Operating Satan or the OT levels. So you could only get that training on those ships. In 1981, under the Commodore's Messenger organization led by David Miscavige, the Sea Org dissolved the Guardian's office, which The Guardian's office would later become the Office of Special Affairs, which essentially is their, it's like their CIA, their intelligence organization where they, yeah. So they assumed full responsibility of the church's international management and later reassigned the Guardian's office's duties to the Office of Special Affairs in 1983, like I said. It actually moved to land-based organizations in 1975, though the maritime customs still remained. Many members wearing naval-style uniforms and addressing both male and female officers as sir, which they also, and I noticed this in Jenna Miscavige's book, they had to call females mister as well as sir. So every time she would reference somebody that was a female, she would call them Mr. And it was so confusing through the book to like read, oh, Mr. whatever, and it was actually a female. So in 1985, the church purchased a 440-foot motor vessel, the Free Winds, which docks in Curacao. How do you say that? I think that's how you say it. Curacao. It's that island country. It's in the Southern Caribbean, and they use the Free Winds as a religious retreat and training center, and it's staffed entirely by Sea Org members. 
Sea Org members make a lifetime commitment to Scientology by signing a billion year contract. In exchange, members are given free room and board as well as a small weekly allowance. Sea Org members agree to strict codes of discipline such as disavowing premarital sex, working long hours, on average at least 100 hours per week. Oh my god. And being paid an average of $70 per week. Oh my god. And living in communal housing called birthings. They're allowed to marry, but they must relinquish their membership if they have or want to raise children. So there's a couple that was in the C organization and they're out now, but they oh, got I married. Know, I know. What's her name? Um, Headley. Mark and Claire Headley. Yeah, Claire. Claire Headley. They got married and got pregnant. And they had to get, get and abortions. They forced her to have an abortion. Yeah. 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 And, and she's, she's out now. Yes, they're both out. Yeah. Yeah. They're still married too. Yeah. But yeah, I saw them on Leah Remini's show and I, it, oh my God, it's so horrible. It's so horrible. Because they re- regret it so much. Um, there's no medical treatment. They're only doled out vitamin cocktails. And then when they're sick, there are quote unquote doctors, which could be a, well, they're, they're just Sea Org members and they're sometimes fucking 12 year olds. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So there's a specific portion of the Sea Org called the Rehabilitation Project Force. It was created in January 1974 as a system of work camps set up by the Sea Org, which are intended to isolate and rehabilitate members who have not lived up to the church's expectations. They've failed security checks, which are intense auditing sessions that are basically interrogations, or if they violated certain policies. The Rehabilitation Project Force areas are located within the Sea Org facilities and there are no locks on the doors. Many ex-Seorg members have reported grueling treatment. There are so eight hours of physical work, such as painting, plumbing, upkeeps of grounds, um, six days a week. The work may involve teaching the member a skill such as carpentry. On top of that, members also spend five additional hours a day studying or auditing with a partner. So you're looking at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 hours. Keep in mind, they're only getting paid an average of $70 a week for all this shit. Former Scientologist John Adak argued in his book called A Piece of Blue Sky that the treatment of Sea Org members in the Rehabilitation Project Force was a careful imitation of techniques long used by the military to obtain unquestioning obedience and immediate compliance to orders or more simply to break men's spirits. One former member said that during his time in the Sea Org in the 1970s, he spent over two years banished to the RPF as a punishment. He said, quote, it was essentially a prison to which the crew who were considered non-producers, security risks, or just wanted to leave the Sea Org were assigned. Hubbard's RPF policies established the conditions. RPF members were segregated and not allowed to communicate with anyone else. They had their own spaces and were not allowed in normal crew areas of the ship. They ate after the normal crew had eaten and only whatever was left over from the crew meal. Their birthing was the worst on board in a roach infested, filthy and unventilated cargo hold. 
They wore black jumpsuits even in the hottest weather. They were required to run everywhere constantly. You just had to run. The fuck, why? <laughs> I don't know. The discipline was harsh and bizarre, with running laps of the ship assigned for the slightest infraction, like failing to address a senior with sir. Work was hard and the schedule rigid, with seven hours sleep time from lights out to lights on, short meal breaks, no liberties, and no free time. Mallory, why are they on a boat, though? Like, why? Because L. Ron Hubbard was obsessed, obsessed with the Navy. I guess so. Yeah. I just... So I've I've read about the Sea Org, and I was just like, why does this exist? Like, why are they on a boat, though? Like, what I, are they doing? <laughs> that. He, he just, like, had this vision of, like, a, a naval academy type thing. And he, like, maybe... So, yeah, my only assumption that I can make is because he was removed from the navy he wanted to be like well guess what i've got my own navy now yeah you know type of thing he was a narcissist for sure but what do they do on the like where do they go do they go anywhere i don't know that's a good question i think they just sailed around in the caribbean for the most part but i'm not entirely sure I'm sure that they went to some of the port cities where one of the, like their bases were. Like I know in Florida, they've got a big base there. Yeah, I wonder if they were like recruiting in different port cities or like what's the point? I don't even think they were doing that. I think they were just doing like the trainings there. Like there's no point for it to be on a fucking boat besides keeping you there and making you yeah you're do trapped. It. Yeah, I I don't know. So, in 2011, former Sea Org member Valeska Paris reported that she had been imprisoned aboard Free Winds to prevent her from leaving Scientology after joining at age 14. Once she was taken to the ship, expecting to be on board for two weeks, Paris said her passport was taken from her, after which she was held against her will, forced into manual labor for 12 years and unable to leave the ship without an escort for six years. Oh my God. Her story was corroborated by another former Sea Org member who said, Valeska made it very clear she did not want to be there. She had been sent to the ship so as not to be in contact with one of her parents, and that's not what she wanted. She was very, very distressed. And of course, the Church of Scientology has denied the claims. Surprise. So guys, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a minute. We'll go through some more juicy Scientology stuff. See you later, bitches. Hi guys, we're back and we're ready to talk about David Miscavige. Dun, dun, dun. Super scary man. Ooh. <laughs> I just have a picture of him and he looks... He just looks scary in every picture. Honestly. He gives me like Rosemary's babies, <laughs> Rosemary's babies, <laughs> like I don't know, like Satan vibes. I don't know. He just looks evil for sure. So he's the current leader of Scientology and the captain of the Sea Org. His official title is chairman of the board of the Religious Technology Center, which is a corporation that controls the trademarks and copyrights of Dianetics and Scientology. So he was born in 1960 in Pennsylvania to Ronald and Loretta Miscavige. He has a twin sister, Denise, and they were raised in New Jersey. As a child, he played baseball and football, but he suffered from asthma and severe allergies. 
that's not even relevant. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> well, he's a pussy, so. <laughs> okay. No. Everyone with asthma and severe allergies, you're a pussy. <laughs> His father became interested in Scientology and sent David to see a Scientologist. And according to both father and son, a 45-minute Dianetics session cured his ailments. That's why it's relevant. Oh. I am so stupid. He- <laughs> so he's no longer a pussy. Yeah. He's a king. He's, he is a king. A Scientology king. A short king. He is a short king. <laughs> I think he is actually really short. So Miss Cavage's family joined the Church of Scientology in 1971 and eventually moved to the world headquarters, which at that time was in St. Hill Manor, England. By the age of 12, he was conducting Scientology auditing sessions. He is actually remembered by the organization as the 12-year-old prodigy who became the youngest professional Scientology auditor. They actually returned to Philadelphia within a few years, and he went to high school there. And in 1976, on his 16th birthday, David left high school with his father's permission to move to Clearwater, Florida and join the Sea Org, which is, we just talked about that on the break. Yeah. Like why parents let their kids go into the Sea Org. Yeah, we we just discussed this because I read like little baby children would join the Sea Org Like, how could their parents let them do that? Mm -hmm. They sign at seven years old or younger, like who knows how old, a billion-year contract into the Sea Org where... Signing your life away to become a slave for Scientology. And how does that happen? So I guess these parents think they're doing, like, the world a service by letting their children enlist in this. That has to be what it is because how... Why would you give up your... Because you are essentially giving your child away. They, yeah. You're not going to see them. You're not going to... Ever again. Yeah. Probably. At, at least, at the very least, not for a very long time. And you're not going to be their parent, you know? Scientology is their parent. Yeah. So some of his earliest jobs in the Sea Org was just like grunt work. He did groundskeeping, food service, and taking photos for like brochures and stuff. And then he joined an elite group of young Scientologists in the Sea Org called the Commodore's Messenger Organization, which Hubbard actually established solely to carry out his personal errands (laughs) and deliver executive directives to Scientology management. And wasn't Shelley a part of that as well? She was, yes. But as they grew, because I think that he hired a bunch of kids to do it in the beginning, but as they grew into adolescence, their power and influence within the Sea Org actually increased too. So by 1977, Miss Cavage was living in La Quinta, California, and working directly under Hubbard as a cameraman for Scientology training films. So Miss Cavage actually became the head of the CMO, the Commodore's Messenger Organization, in 1979. By 1980, Hubbard was no longer appearing at public functions related to Scientology. And by some accounts, David actually took effective control of the organization at that time. But in 1981, Ms. Cavage was placed in charge of the Watchdog Committee and the All Clear Unit with the task of handling various legal claims against Hubbard, which is what those committees were for. He also became in charge of Author Services, Inc., 
which was an entity to manage Hubbard's literary and financial affairs. In 1987, the year after Hubbard actually had died, he became the captain of the Sea Org, which gave him absolute authority over the Sea Org command structure in all Sea Org organizations. So I'm going to take a small detour to tell you about Operation Snow White. Operation Snow White was a criminal conspiracy by the Church of Scientology during the 1970s, which was to purge all unfavorable records about Scientology and its founder, L. Ron Hubbard. The project included a series of infiltrations into and thefts from 136 government agencies, foreign embassies, and consulates, as well as private organizations critical of Scientology. They were carried out by church members in more than 30 countries. What does that even mean? Like, what did they do? So, what they did, so it was one of the largest infiltrations of the United States government in history, with up to 5,000 covert agents. And so what they did is, okay, so under this program, Scientology operatives committed infiltration, wiretapping, and theft of documents in government offices, most notably those of the U.S. IRS, and 11 highly placed church executives, including the current wife of L. Ron Hubbard, Mary Sue Hubbard, and at that time, second in command of the organization. They pleaded guilty and were convicted in court of obstructing justice, burglary of government offices, and theft of documents and government property. Scientology was? Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. So I said all that to say this. <laughs> After the Guardian's office, which is like the, did I say this already? The Basically the CIA of Scientology, mm -hmm. later called the Office of Special Affairs. After their criminal involvement in Operation Snow White, Miscavige persuaded Mary Sue Hubbard to resign from the Guardian's office and purged several top Guardian's office's officials. The St. Petersburg Times, in a 1998 article called The Man Behind Scientology, says... During two heated encounters, Miscavige persuaded Mary Sue Hubbard to resign. Together, they composed a letter to Scientologists confirming her decision, all without ever talking to L. Ron Hubbard. When Hubbard died in 1986, Miscavige announced his death to Scientologists at the Hollywood Palladium. Shortly before Hubbard died, though, an apparent order from him circulated in the Sea Org that promoted Scientologist Pat Broker and his wife to the new rank of loyal officer, which I guess is like the highest, yeah, making them the highest ranking members. But David was not going to have that. He asserted that the order had been forged. And I didn't have any other details about how he was able to do this, but he was able to assume the position of the head of the Church of Scientology after that. And Jeez. yeah, so somehow he strong armed his way <laughs> into the position. I'm not surprised though. Me neither. So, and this is why, since he assumed his leadership role in Scientology, the press has actually reported accounts alleging illegal and unethical practices by the Church of Scientology or by Miscavige himself. A 1991 Time Magazine cover story on Scientology described Miscavige as a ringleader of a hugely profitable global racket that survives by intimidating members and critics in a mafia-like manner. Mm -hmm. 
In 2009, the St. Petersburg Times published a series titled The Truth Rundown, which featured allegations by former high-ranking executives of Scientology that Miscavige had repeatedly humiliated and physically beaten his staff and had confined Church of Scientology staff members in degrading conditions in a property owned by the organization known as The Hole. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I remember this part. Yeah. So The Hole is a building on a compound of other buildings. They call it the Gold Base, Mm -hmm. but it's proper name i guess is golden era productions it's where they do like all their media stuff yeah but there's a building there it's in the town of hemet in riverside county california dozens of scientology's senior executives have been confined within that building for months or years that is fucked the building is a set of double wide trailers yeah yeah according to former members of scientology and media reports David Miscavige sent dozens of senior Scientology executives to the hole. The Tampa Bay Times described it in a January 2013 article as a place of confinement and humiliation where Scientology's management culture, always demanding, grew extreme. Inside, a who's who of Scientology leadership went at each other with brutal tongue lashings and even hands and fists. They intimidated each other into crawling on their knees and standing in trash cans. Oh my god, it reminds me of... Do you watch Succession? No, I haven't seen oh that. Oh my god, it reminds me of Bore on the Floor! It's like the like the head of this company like makes the guys get on the floor and act like pigs. Oh my god. It's like, Bore on the Floor! Oh anyway, god. that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, like the point was to confess things that they hadn't done. They were like forcing them yeah. to do that. They live, I will say currently they live because it's still happening. And Leah Remini and Mike Rinder on their show have talked about people who are still there currently. like Held prisoner. Mm -hmm. They live in degrading conditions, eating and sleeping in cramped spaces designed for office use. The executives confined at the hole are reported to have numbered up to 100 of the most senior figures in Scientology's management including the Church of Scientology International's president, Heber Gench. Why, like, why is no one, like, rescuing them if this is known? This place is under super lockdown. It's, the security is insane. But why can't, like, the FBI Because they're scared of Scientology. They're scared of the lawsuits. They're scared of the money they have to come after them. This is why nobody gets anywhere. Because Scientology is going to shut them down at every because money. avenue. Yeah, because avenue and avenue? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is that? What? Because avenue? money. Because <laughs> money. The hell? Okay, anyway. <laughs> so individuals are said to have spent months or even years there. After a few managed to escape the hole in Scientology, they gave accounts of their experiences to the media, the courts, oh and the FBI leading to widespread publicity about the harsh conditions that they had allegedly, allegedly endured. (laughs) The Church of Scientology has denied those accounts. Surprise. It says that the whole does not exist and never has, and that nobody has been held against their will. However, it acknowledges that its members are subjected to religious discipline, 
a program of ethics and correction entered into voluntarily as a part of their religious observances. So what did they say happened? Do you have those accounts or is it too dangerous for them to publish it? It's basically what I had said earlier about uh, the intimidated each other and crawling. They were in like I want to see living what it looks like. I mean, I know what they'll build. I want to know okay. what it, like I inside. Know. Yeah, it's yeah. probably just garbage. So, as I was talking about earlier, the Saint Petersburg Times had published a series titled "The Truth Rundown," which had allegations of abuse. And it included interviews with Mike Rinder, who was a former official spokesperson for the Church of Scientology and the director of the organization's Office of Special Affairs, their CIA, FBI type thing. And Mark Rathbun, who is the former inspector general of the Religious Technology Center. Um, And I actually do address the Religious Technology Center and what it is a little bit later. Rinder has said that he was physically assaulted by Miscavige on about 50 occasions. (laughs) These allegations have been supported by other former Scientologists. Lawrence Wright, who is the author of Going Clear, interviewed 12 individuals who have reported being personally attacked by Miscavige and 21 people who say they have witnessed such attacks. Scientology denies all of these reports. Gotta say it. Similar charges have been reported in previous years. In 1987, the BBC Panorama program, Scientology, The Road to Total Freedom, question mark. (laughs) That's what they titled it. Featured an interview with former member Don Larson, who described Miscavige's physical violence toward a staff member. In a 1995 interview, Stacey Young, who was a former secretary and the ex-wife of Hubbard's former spokesperson, Miss Cabbage's former secretary, was what I meant to say. She asserted that he emotionally tormented staff members on a regular basis, saying, quote, His viciousness and his cruelty to staff was unlike anything I had ever experienced in my life. He just loved to degrade the staff. In an incident also witnessed and supported by Amy Scobie, who was also a former high-ranking official, Jeff Hawkins, who was a former marketing guru for Scientology, claimed to have attended a meeting where Miscavige jumped up on the conference room table with his feet right on the conference room table, launched himself across the table at me. I was standing. He battered my face and then shoved me down on the floor. Holy shit. What a crazy-ass person. The only other thing I have about him is that he's close to actor Tom Cruise, and he served as his best man at his wedding to Katie Holmes. Gross. (laughs) So, David's wife, Shelley Miscavige. She was a member of the Sea Org. She was responsible for the international management of the Church of Scientology and its affiliated entities. From the age of 12, she was a member of the Commodore's Messenger Organization. She was described as a quiet, petite, and younger than most of the other messengers at the time, and a bit overshadowed by the older girls. At the age of 21, in December 1982, she married 22-year-old David Miscavige. She subsequently joined her husband's group as an official assistant to her husband, the chairman of the board of the Scientology's Religious Technology Center, And according to author Lawrence Wright, she was closely involved in the church's liaison with its highest profile member, Tom Cruise. When Cruise began a three-year relationship with Penelope Cruise, Shelley supervised Penelope's auditing. 
and helped her through the purification rundown program. And after the end of Penelope and Tom's relationship, Shelley was reported to have led a church program to find a new girlfriend for Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Around 100 young Scientologist actresses were interviewed. Ew, what? I know. Oh my god. But they weren't told why. Why am I not surprised? They, like, literally were invited to audition for what they thought was a role in Mission Impossible. What? Yeah. (laughs) But really, they were trying out to be his fucking girlfriend. (laughs) Did someone win? Um, Yeah, actually. So, an actress named... Nazanin Boniadi. She was one of them, and they dated for a few months, and but they broke off the relationship in January 2005. They resumed the search and eventually concluded with Katie Holmes meeting and marrying Cruz. So I think she was one of those people. <laughs> oh my god. His attorney denies that any Scientology executive set him up with girlfriends. <laughs> I had no idea about that. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Katie Holmes is one of my celebrity doppelgangers, people say. You're right. But I would never go for Tom Cruise. No. He has one tooth in the center (laughs) of his face. (laughs) (laughs) Not a fan of that. Denied. Shelley subsequently oversaw a project to use Scientology members and contractors to renovate Cruise's nine-bedroom mansion in Beverly Hills. She was like assigned to him, basically. In 2006, Shelley's husband, David Miscavige, he left Scientology's international base. And upon his return, Shelley was said to have visibly changed her mood. And she looked, quote, looked cowed, which means like forced to be silent almost. Mike Rinder, who was a used to be a spokesperson, says that she asked him if her husband was still wearing his wedding ring. Leah Remini was invited to Tom Cruise's wedding in 2006. All the top clergy of Scientology were there, except for Shelley. Mm-hmm. They told her that she shouldn't be asking about her. She asked, obviously. Yeah, and that was a big she, no-no. Yes. To they, even question. Yes. To even ask. Yeah. They said you shouldn't be asking about her. So after that, she started hearing more I guess she kind of did more research and she started hearing more like stories of abuse and then like stories of leaders that had left the church. And like we said, she was definitely met with hostility from the church. She started being interrogated with the e-meter, which she had to pay for all of those interrogations. Oh, so they're like, we're going to interrogate you. You must pay us for this. Exactly. Uh-huh. They started interrogating her family and friends, which of course they had to pay for. And... They said that she was committing crimes against Scientology and that they were going to find out. Leah had considered Shelley a friend. Mm -hmm. They would often write letters back and forth to each other. And then, so Leah kept attempting to write letters to her after she noticed that she was missing. Or not missing, but not at the wedding. And she never responded. But she said that whenever they wrote letters back and forth, she would always respond to her. And like, no one's heard from her since, right? So, yeah, so hearing nothing from Shelly for six years, Leah eventually filed a missing persons report. The LAPD, after an investigation, stated that they actually met with Shelly and the case was closed. Oh. 
Scientology then released an official response, which said, Miss Remini continues her obnoxious efforts to harass the leader of the Church of Scientology and his wife, with whom Miss Remini has been obsessed with and has stalked for years. Holy shit. Right? How insulting. Yeah. So I watched the episode about her and the episode of Leah Remini's show, and there's several theories. You know, she could be sick. She could have fucking died. She could be being held against her will. There's rumors that she is at the Church of Spiritual Technology, which this place is so bizarre. It was established to preserve the writings and words of L. Ron Hubbard for eternity. They have engaged many years of putting his writings into indestructible form, meaning they etch them onto stainless steel plates which are held in titanium containers filled with argon gas and covered with space shuttle tiles so that they can never burn and they're stored in underground vaults. Okay, okay. Yeah. Why don't you just put it on the cloud? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. This place is also on major lockdown. So I, I'm not sure who said or why there are rumors that she is there. Other than it's like super protected from the public. Accounts have been told that Shelley was actually afraid that David was losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Like he would ask questions and talk about things that didn't make any sense. Yeah. And if she had been in disagreement with him about anything, she would have been. I mean, take Leah, for example. She was. She and her friends and family were interrogated for asking a question. Yeah. If she had ever, like, said anything in opposition to David or asked the wrong question or whatever, you can easily see that they would try to hide her or, you know. I think I I remember on Leah Remini's show, someone had said that Shelly had started feeling that way about, like, David. He's kind of going crazy and she was starting to question things herself a little bit. But, like, he didn't want to give too much up to her and she didn't want to give too much up to him because... Like, Mm -hmm. both of them could tell on the other, and they were both feeling, like, super threatened about what would happen if they were to confide in each other. Yeah, I think in that episode, the guy that they are talking to said that David asked Shelly, he was like, where's the gold? Just out of nowhere, where's the gold? Did we bury it, or where is it? And she was like, what are you talking? Like, she had no clue what he was talking about. Yeah. It was just off the wall bizarre, like, things that he would say like that. And and obviously, she's too much of a liability. If she had shown signs of wanting to leave even or, you know, something like that, she's way too much of a liability to be let go. Yeah. You know? Holy shit. So I didn't have, like, a ton of... I mean, that's basically all there is about her at this point but she has not been seen since 2006 at all (laughs) in public so i talked about the hole already we skipped around a little bit front groups i wanted to just mention this briefly because we talked about narconon briefly in our first episode yeah so church of scientology uses front groups either to promote its interests in politics or make its group seem more legitimate 
The FBI's July 7th, 1977 raids on the church's offices following the discovery of the Operation Snow White, which I had talked about earlier, turned up, among other documents, an undated memo entitled PR General Categories of Data Needing Coding. This memo listed what it called, quote, secret PR front groups. (laughs) So basically a memo literally saying they've got front groups. (laughs) There's one front group, which is called the Cult Awareness Network, and, you know, pure irony. Time actually identified several other fronts for Scientology, including Narconon, and there's a couple of other ones. Not a couple, there's more than a couple, but I'm not going to list them because it's just no one knows what they are. On Narconon specifically, the program has garnered considerable controversy as a result of its origins in Scientology and its methods. Its drug rehabilitation treatment has been described as medically unsafe, quackery, and medical fraud, while academic and medical experts have dismissed its educational program as containing factual errors and basic concepts such as physical and mental effects, addiction, and even spelling. (laughs) Narconon's facilities have been the location of several deaths, some of which have been linked back to the lack of trained medical personnel on site. Ridiculous. So now I'm going to go into their fair game policy, and mm-hmm. this is like the last section I'm going to do, but it's pretty crazy. So the term fair game is used to describe policies and practices carried out by the Church of Scientology towards people and its groups it perceives as its enemies. So basically what they're going to do to us. This is what we're in for. L. Ron Hubbard established the policy in the 1950s in response to criticism from both within and outside his organization. So he was like, no, the fuck you won't talk bad about me. (laughs) You're Uh, fair game, bitch. You're fair gamed. Individuals or groups who are, quote, fair game are judged to be a threat to the church and according to the policy can be punished and harassed using any and all means possible. In 1968, though, Hubbard officially canceled the use of the term fair game because of the negative PR it caused, (laughs) although the church's aggressive response to criticism continued. That's nothing new. Applying the principles of fair game, Hubbard and his followers targeted many individuals as well as government officials and agencies, including a program of covert and illegal infiltration of the IRS which is what we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. and other government agencies during the 1970s. They also conducted private investigations, character assassination, and legal action against the church's critics in the media. The policy remains in effect today, and it has been defended by the Church of Scientology as a core religious practice. Starting in the 1980s, For the major branch in L.A., Scientology largely switched from actually using church members in their harassment campaigns to hiring private investigators, including former and current LAPD police officers. They have LAPD, like, in their palm. Oh my god, that's so horrifying. Yeah. The reason it seemed that they did this was that it gave the church a layer of protection in case embarrassing tactics were used and made public so it wouldn't be Scientology members that did them, it would be somebody not affiliated. So L. Ron Hubbard said that all opposition came from what he called suppressive persons, or SPs, Mm -hmm. which Scientologist claims are, 
quote, antisocial people who want to destroy anything that benefits humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) AKA, they just jealous. Yep. In written policies dating back from the 1950s, Hubbard had told his followers to take a hard line against opponents, or perceived opponents. In 1955, he wrote, quote, the purpose of the suit, meaning a lawsuit, is to harass and discourage rather than to win. The law can be used easily to harass, and enough harassment on somebody who is simply on the thin edge anyway, well knowing that he is not authorized, will generally be sufficient to cause his professional decease. If possible, of course, ruin him utterly. Thanks, Elron. <laughs> He said that in dealing with opponents, his followers should always find or manufacture enough threat against them to cause them to sue for peace. Don't ever defend, always attack. He also urged the use of black propaganda to destroy reputation or public belief in persons, companies, or nations. And the church, of course, has retained the aggressive policy towards those it perceives as enemies. In 1965, Hubbard formulated the Fair Game Law, which states how to deal with people who interfere with Scientology's activities. It basically said a person who attacked the church would not be protected by the church or granted the rights of Scientologists in good standing. In December of that year, Hubbard reissued the policy with additional clarifications to define the scope of Fair Game. He made it clear that the policy applied to non-Scientologists as well. So here are a few examples of people that have been fair gamed. In 1965, ex-Scientologist Charles Berner received a, quote, fair game order. Afterwards, he stated he received other life-threatening letters, which one indicated that he should apply technique R2-45 to himself. This particular technique is a route whereby an individual places a 45 caliber pistol to his head and disassociates himself from his body. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's... basically a kill yourself Yeah, <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yep. Paulette Cooper, who is a journalist and writer, they attempted to cause her to be imprisoned, killed, driven to suicide, or committed to a mental institution as revenge for her publication of a 1971 highly critical oh, book, I've, The Scandal of Scientology. I've heard about that. The FBI discovered documentary evidence of the plot and the preceding campaign of harassment during an investigation of the Church of Scientology in 1977, eventually leading to the church compensating Cooper in an out-of-court settlement. I'm sure they didn't leave her alone after that, though. Yeah. So in 2009, another example, the Tampa Bay Times reported that after Pat Broker left the church in 1989 and moved to Colorado, David Miscavige hired private detectives, because Pat Broker was a high up person, I do believe. I think I had said that earlier. David Miscavige hired private detectives for $32,000 a month. They followed Pat for the next two decades to Wyoming and 10 years in the Czech Republic. They went international. <laughs> I heard about this. I think it was in uh, the docu-series I watched. Okay. Jesus Christ. He went there to go to medical school and be an English teacher, and they were just fucking following him around yeah. the whole time. 
In 2012, Paul Merrick and Greg Arnold, the two private detectives who followed Pat Broker for 25 years, sued the Church of Scientology for a breach of contract when the organization stopped paying them for their investigations. <laughs> Holy shit. In 1991, an investigative journalist, Richard Behar, wrote The Thriving Cult of Greed and Power, which is a time cover story on Scientology. It won several awards, but the Church of Scientology was not happy about it. They brought several lawsuits over the article, all of which were eventually dismissed. But while investigating the story, he was fair gamed. This is him writing this. And there's a couple of names in here that I don't know who they are. They don't they really explain from where I got this. It doesn't explain who they are, but I don't, I don't know if they're lawyers or members of Scientology or what, but just bear with me, you'll get it. <laughs> so he says, I later learned a copy of my personal credit report with detailed information about my bank accounts, home mortgage, credit card payments, home address, and social security number had been illegally retrieved from a national credit bureau called TransUnion. The sham company that received it, which was called Educational Funding Services of Los Angeles, which was Scientology, Jesus. gave its address as a mail drop a few blocks from Scientology's headquarters. The owner of the mail drop is a private eye named Fred Wolfson, who admits that an Ingram associate, and I don't, that's who I don't know who that is, retained him to retrieve credit reports on several individuals. Wolfson says that he was told Scientology's attorneys had judgments against these people and were trying to collect on them. He says now these are vicious people. These are vipers. After that, however, an attorney subpoenaed me while another falsely suggested that I might own shares in a company I was reporting about that had been taken over by Scientologists. A close friend in Los Angeles received a disturbing telephone call from a Scientology staff member seeking data about me, an indication that the cult may have illegally obtained my personal phone records. Two detectives contacted me, posing as a friend and a relative of a so-called cult victim to elicit negative statements from me about Scientology. Some of my conversations with them were taped, transcribed, and presented by the church in affidavits to Times lawyers as proof of my bias against Scientology. Holy shit. Yeah. Super crazy. Just relentless. Exactly. Every avenue possible. And then last but not least, David Miscavige's own father, Ronald Miscavige Sr., was a longtime Scientologist who he left the church in 2012, which he has a crazy story. If um, I know he has a book as well, but I haven't read it. I want to read it. In July 2013, Wisconsin police responded to a suspicious person call and found a man named Dwayne S. Powell outside Ronald's home. Powell was in possession of firearms and an illegal homemade silencer. Powell claimed to have received $10,000 a week for over a year to conduct full-time surveillance on Ron Miscavige for Scientology. Powell told the police that on one occasion, he witnessed what he believed to be Ron Sr. undergoing cardiac arrest. According to Powell, after immediately reporting the perceived emergency to his superiors, he received a call for further instructions from a man who identified himself as David Miscavige. According to the police report, Powell was instructed 
to let him die and not intervene in any way. Just because he left? Just because he left. That is fucked up, man. Mm-hmm. So Shelly's probably dead. Yeah, or being silenced, or maybe she's in the hole. I don't know. I don't know. What do they do there? I don't know. It none of it makes sense. And that's the thing that I've like come to find out through listening to everything and watching all these things is the end game is money and no bad PR. And that is it. Like they failed. (laughs) Yeah. There's plenty of bad PR. Yeah, now there is. So that's That's all I have about that. Um, I wanted to throw in though some resources in case any Scientologist is listening to this right now. There are resources to help you leave. The first one is the Aftermath Foundation, which is, I think it's it was actually founded by Leah Rimini. They exist to help people leave Scientology and the Sea Org, especially those people that lack a system of support that they can rely on. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you come out of the Sea Org, especially, like I said earlier, you have nothing. Yeah. You not you don't have an education. You don't have a job. You don't have money. You don't have a house. You don't have anything. You don't have family. Right. Nothing. Yeah. So you can find them at www.theaftermath.org. And then there's also a website called daretodoubt.org. Specifically, daretodoubt.org slash Scientology. They have resources as well. But they also, which I thought was cool, have resources for other people wanting to leave other religions or cults. It's not specific to Scientology. And I've heard Leah Remini say this on her podcast before. Reach out to those people, her, Mike Render, anybody that on social media, reach out to them if you need help. Because they have the resources and connections to help you or any other former member that you're aware of. So oh, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. That was a long one, man. So before you came over, I was like on TikTok and I looked up hashtag Scientology just to see what was going on oh. on TikTok. Yeah. And I mean, there was a bunch of stupid videos, like people, you know, like going into the church of Scientology just to like get a tour or whatever. Oh, and like, yes. And then there were people just like making fun of it. But then in the comments, I actually sent you a video, but like, in the comments, there are a ton of people like, nothing's wrong with Scientology. Like, it's... Oh, just it's like, all them. Yeah. And yeah. it's... But it felt like it was almost like a woke opinion. Like, leave them alone. It's just like a different belief. In that case, they're severely ignorant because it's exactly. not... Exactly. Like, I was just like, how could anyone be defending this? Like, they obviously yeah. have no idea. They have no clue. I mean, seriously. But they were kind of coming off like... You're just uneducated, like, uh, you know, but... Well, they're the ones that are uneducated, or they're in Scientology and trying to do damage control. It's so insane. Yeah. That is crazy. I mean, there's so many stories... I mean, I literally could do 100 episodes on just specific people's stories and what they went through to try to leave. Yeah. It's crazy and yeah you could probably do a profile like an episode for a profile for each like person that yeah exactly leah remini and mike render have done a great job of doing that in their yeah. their netflix show or i think it was like a and e but and then on their podcast too have you heard of the introspection rundown at all i, don't I found so. this on the wikipedia page 
So the introspection rundown is a controversial auditing process that is intended to handle a psychotic episode or a complete mental breakdown. Oh, I did read about that briefly. Yeah. Yeah. And it came under public scrutiny because one of the members died. Oh, good. Yeah, during one of these. Lisa McPherson in 1995. Oh, yes. I was going to research into her, but I had too much shit already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should just like maybe scatter things throughout. She could definitely have her own episode for sure. Yeah. So there's like a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of crazy shit about this. Oh, my God. There's so much stuff I wanted to include too, but I feel like... Without the background information, you just really have to understand how, like, it came from insanity. Yeah. You know? It did. It's nutso. Well, great job. All opinions are expressed are of my, of my own only, and... <laughs> nah. And suck it. Get over it, because bad PR is everywhere for you now. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting brave. <laughs> well, I mean, we didn't sign any billionaire contracts or that's true but it yeah that's true but i don't think it matters to them i mean i think we're nothing right now so yeah (laughs) if it became like a huge like you know they went after people that wrote time articles people that did were never never signed contracts either well yeah so well on tiktok there was a group of people that kept putting i guess it's like one of their the big Scientology campus, I guess, mm-hmm. like the one in California on Hollywood Boulevard or something. Oh, okay. I don't the remember. The big blue one or the... the big one that you always see in the pictures with the Scientology logo on it. Yes, yes. Um, they kept like getting this like huge projector and putting sucks underneath the Scientology. Oh, God, so it just said Scientology sucks. <laughs> and they like kept doing it and like security kept trying to like stop them and stuff but they ended up getting a letter like a cease and assist letter but they ended up being fine because they weren't doing anything illegal like it was okay so like i'm glad that they didn't i guess they try and just like fear monger people and yeah well that's the thing like i when i was going over l ron hubbard's policy of fair game it's yeah do anything you can to make them uncomfortable basically yeah so I mean, everything we've said and done is legal. I mean, it's all on the internet. That's We're why I threw that disclaimer at the beginning, Talking baby. about it. It's just, you know, guys, you're fucked up. But holy shit. Oh we God. did the Scientology episode. We did the Scientology The big episode. boy. The, the big, big honking baby boy. <laughs> yeah. This is a long one. Sorry, guys. But hopefully it was at least somewhat interesting. Hopefully I didn't drone on with my monotone voice. <laughs> well, I feel thoroughly cleansed from this bev oh good i feel like i'm gonna be living a more enlightened life you're gonna get rid of your reactive mind now Mm-hmm. good go clear yep i am super clear mm, that's excellent yes wow. i am now ot 1 million. <laughs> oh hell yeah I'm blasting <laughs> off with what's his name xenu xenu yeah <laughs> well guys if you want to find us we're on social media. You can find us on uh, Instagram at <laughs> Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. You can find us on Twitter at Rabbit Hole HH Pod. We got a TikTok. A TikTok. 
<laughs> oh, we got a tick tick. We'll be posting our new video. Well, actually, it'll be already be up by the time this comes out. Yes, showing you how to make this concoction, and that is at Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. Yeah, and send e- us an email. Email if you have any suggestions, because I know we're gonna run out of suggestions there, <laughs> like ideas at some point, maybe. Maybe not, but we welcome those. It's uh, rabbitholehappyhour at gmail.com. And let us know any feedback. Like, are you enjoying this new format yes. where we're taking turns going back and forth, one person per episode? Feedback is, yeah. we we want that because we want to do this better for you guys too. And We're just brand new little baby girls trying to make a little podcast here. Yeah. Interact so. with us on social media, please. Yeah, We've please. Had, we have one follower we don't know. Yeah, we're like, who are you? Say something. (laughs) Say something. Comment. All right, guys. Well, next episode is my turn. Oh, yes. And I got a big boy. You got a heavy hitter next episode. Yep. It's a a relevant topic and can't wait to dish the deets. I'm excited for it. (laughs) I hope you guys have a very happy holiday. Oh, yeah. Christmas. And we'll be talking to you soon. All right. See ya. All right. Bye. Love you.